Hi, this is Debbie Taylor-Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. Thank you that we can gather in your name. Jesus, thank you for the salvation that you give us. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would see your word through the eyes of Jesus this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, you've got your Bibles open, I bet, to Acts 11. We're looking at Acts 11, 18. We see that believers are first called Christians at Antioch. How Herod beheads James. We also see how Herod puts Peter in prison. He continues to be angry at this spread of Christ followers, and so he not only wants James dead, but now it appears he wants Peter dead. But regardless of what Herod wants, we're going to see this week that the angel of the Lord delivers Peter as he has once before when he was in prison. And then we see that an angel of the Lord strikes Herod and he is eaten by worms and dies. So beginning in Acts 11, 19 through 30, we see that believers are first called Christians at Antioch. And I want to point out here, as we look at this passage, that there is so much that is happening in the spread of the gospel. The Cyprus and Cyrenian believers are preaching Jesus. Barnabas is encouraging, which is what Barnabas does, as we know. Saul is teaching, Agabus is prophesying, and believers are giving. We see the body of Christ in operation. And that is how it is supposed to be in our day. We begin by seeing that in spite of persecution, the church grows when believers use and exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they are given. So let's read, beginning in verse 19. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And then he, Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul, 
to the elders. I just get so excited looking at the scriptures and how they are speaking to us today. Your first point that you saw already on your listening guide was in spite of the persecution, the church grows when believers exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second point that we see is the hand of the Lord. Do you see that in your Bible? Is it worded that way in your translation? The hand of the Lord. Let me see your hand if it is worded that way in your Bible. The hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord. Now, does the Lord have a hand? Well, we know that God the Father is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so Jesus explains that to us. But God became man. But this word or this phrase, the hand of the Lord, it is a term that means the power of the Lord, the activity of the Lord. And it is telling us here that it was more than just disciples or Christians going to a place to do missionary work or to speak the name of Jesus, but there was something more than the visible body of that Christian being there. It was the Lord. It was the Lord's activity. It was the Lord's power. It was the Lord's might. And friends, you know this. You can show up to serve in some ministry. You can show up to serve on a worship team. You can show up to lead your discussion group or be a group participant or teach or whatever it may be, work in the children's program. And it can just be you showing up because you have accepted a commitment or the hand of the Lord, his activity, his strength can be working in and through you. And how many of you would raise your hand and say, I want the hand of the Lord moving in my life, moving when I serve a meal to my family at Thanksgiving or Christmas. I need the hand of the Lord in my life. We can definitely see this. Not only is the hand of the Lord for believers, but the hand of the Lord is also against evil. And if you turn over in your Bibles to Acts 13, 11, you will see where the hand of the Lord, um, Saul says, to Elimaeus, the magician, he says, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for some time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. The hand of the Lord can be for, or the hand of the Lord can be against. I pray that cheers you on as you look at the rise of evil in our land, knowing that the hand of the Lord is powerful and able to move at any second, as we will continue to see. There's something else that we see in here, and I think this is so important, the grace of the Lord, the grace of God, the hand of the Lord, the grace of God. He is active, he is busy, and the grace of God is something that we can see it's something visible. The grace of God is visible. Look at your friend and say, the grace of God is visible. Yes, it, he, the grace of God is visible as the disciples preach and teach the Lord Jesus, as the disciples contribute and give to the needs of others, as Agabus prophesies so that they will know how to prepare as Barnabas is encouraging someone 
the other disciples can see the grace of God. These are grace gifts. They're in 1 Corinthians 12. They're in Ephesians. They're in Romans. But if you do not know what your grace gift is, ask the Lord and just say, show me, Father, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the grace gift that you have given to me as we exercise the gifts of grace that God has given us. They are visible. There's something that someone cannot deny. And it is how the Lord wants to operate in and through us. Jeannie texted me the other day. Jeannie Donald did just a sweet little note about how she appreciated our teaching session a few weeks ago. That was, that was on my phone. That was the grace of God. Her exercising her gift of encouragement, it was on my phone. The grace of God is visible. Let the grace of God be visible through you. Is that something that you would want to write on your listening guide as a note? Lord, please have the grace, your grace, be visible through me. Lord, please help your hand be visible and upon me. All of these all of these ways that we are seeing the church act in the New Testament church, the early church, are ways that they should be, we should be experiencing them. Now, we also see that the grace of God was obvious when the disciples gave and they contributed. And we see this was another way that it was visible, was through the contributions. And I hope you brought out in your discussion group, verse 29, where it says, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren. They were wanting to participate in sending this contribution. They weren't, a preacher wasn't up at the front saying, uh, please give, please dig deep within your pockets. No, when they heard that there was a need, they were like, well, can I do something? What can I do? This was their response. I have to confess to you that my husband and I do tithe. We want to do that because I was raised that way. I was raised that way as a little girl. My mama taught me, and I hope you're teaching your children, that out of the goodness of what God gives us, we want to bring, I mean, a tenth is small. We want to bring a tenth to the Lord's work because the work of the Lord requires lights and all those kinds of things and that make it go forward and contributing to the needs of the needy who come to the church also. But I will confess to you about this, that the Lord convicted me deeply yesterday when I left buying groceries at HEB and was on my way to another appointment and a man was sitting there with his wife and a child and a carrier. And I looked, but I didn't want to look. But I looked, and my eyes made contact with his eyes. And he smiled. And I drove on by. I drove on by. Thinking to myself, I'm just confessing, I'm very sorry thinking to myself, well, instead of sitting there, I hate to say this about myself, but I thought to myself, I justified my driving by by saying, thinking, well, instead of sitting there, he could be working. 
Is that right of me? No. Could I have stopped? No. I had an appointment I had to be at, and if I'd stopped, I would have been late. Really. Could I have not have stopped? I couldn't stop because he could be a drug addict, and my money would just be going to pay to further his addiction. Those are the ways I justified my driving on by. But the Lord convicted me. The Lord woke me up to the fact that I could have had a bag with some water and peanut butter crackers, cheese toast, trail mix, band-aids, lip balm. I could have had some things a little set. So on your overhead screen are some things that you could, if you're not already, and probably you are already doing this. And I have given people money before, but I don't know sometimes if the money is the right option for you. It may be to give the person money, but for you it may be to pay for somebody's groceries in line behind you. It may be for you to have some little sacks of food to provide some nourishment or water. Whatever it is, any of these ways that the Lord is prompting us or stirring us as we go through the study, this is what our this is what we gather for, is not to gain information, it's to gain application, to gain application in our own lives. And certainly there are ways that we can contribute to others. Now in Acts 12, we read about Herod. And we see that there are several Herods. Uh, one of the Herods is Herod the Great. We have him recorded in Matthew 2. He is the one who killed all those sweet baby boys under the age of two years old because he was trying to get rid of the child who had been born, who he heard from the wise men, was supposed to be a servant king. We have Herod Antipas, Matthew 14, 1 through 12, who killed John the Baptist, Herod Agrippa the Elder in Acts 12, 1 through 2, who killed James. And, of course, there was another one that we'll be reading about later, Herod Agrippa the Younger, and that is the one who oversaw Paul's trials. As we look at this, our fourth point that we take home with us is that the battle between Christ and Satan is carried out on earth. War rages in the heavenlies between Satan, angels, and the Lord's angels. But what we see on earth is a display of what is going on in the heavenlies. And you and I get to be a part of Christ's army as we are filled with the Spirit. You are at boot camp. I am at boot camp. We gather to be trained in our senses, to be trained spiritually, to be trained for the battle that you are going to perhaps go and face today, or you are going to face over the coming weeks, or you face perhaps ongoing through a difficult marriage or financial strains. We are being trained, but we see how the Lord uses Christians to stand against the evil. We see in Acts 12, 5 through 17, that an angel of the Lord strikes Peter, to awaken and deliver him. He goes to Mary's house and tells the praying believers who are absolutely amazed. And this is too good for us not to review and read. 
in verse 5, we have just seen that, I'm sorry, I'm going to back up. In verses 1 through 3, he has had John beheaded. Verse 3, when he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. This would have been three shifts that guarded him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Herod is very religious, isn't he? He doesn't want to do anything bad during the Passover. What a godly man. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer. Just say that with me, but prayer. Peter was kept in prison. What's your situation? I'm going through a difficult situation, and then say it with me, but prayer, right big, somewhere on your listening guide. We are going to be looking at this passage through the eyes of Jesus, because as we look at these passages today through the eyes of Jesus, Jesus has looked down at that church in Antioch, and he has seen Barnabas encouraging, and he has seen Agabus prophesying, and he has seen Saul teaching. Jesus has been watching. Then he watched Herod behead John. And his heart hurt, but he knows and he is seeing the persecution and how people are responding to the persecution. They can either go into hiding or they can proceed in the grace of the Lord by the hand of the Lord. So now Jesus is seeing his friend Peter once again arrested. And he's got scars on his back from his prior whipping. And this isn't his first time in prison. Our Lord sees you and he loves you and he hurts with you. He would not wish upon any of us harm, darkness, disaster, the things that are going on in your life, perhaps, and in the world. That's why he's redeemed us. That's why he saved us, to transfer us to a better life, to a new life, to a life that doesn't have any of those aches and pains and difficult things that go on in this world. So his heart is looking at his friend Peter, who he said upon him he was going to build his church now in a dungeon. We see what happens with Peter, and we don't understand why Peter got broken out of jail by an angel and James doesn't. Those are the questions that we will not have answered until we get to heaven, but we can trust our sovereign God, can we not? We can. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made for him fervently by the church. This word fervently in the Greek it means to stretch out the hand. Would you do this with your hand? This is not, this is not praying while you're driving. This is not, and I've shared this before, my Pray With Passion conference, and you can access that on my YouTube channel. I'll also address it in my book, Pray With Purpose, because, because we're going to see some things about prayer. This fervent prayer means they were stretched, they were, Lord, God, Heavenly Father. That's why there's a distinction made. Fervent prayer. 
And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, it's the night. We're down to the wire. There hasn't been an angel breakout of prison for Peter. It's the night. And Herod is still active, and the others are still active. So it wasn't deep into the night, because people, other people are all still awake. But Peter, it tells us, was, was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and guards in front of the door, were watching over the prison. Peter is asleep. How is Peter asleep? Peter is asleep. Because John 14, 27 says, Jesus, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Peter knew that whatever happened, he was going to be with Jesus. And that is the place that each of you and I must get to understand. It is when I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I was 29, I got to understand that. Whether I lived or whether I died, I would be with Jesus. And he would take care of my family. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Jesus says, not as the world gives. Give I unto you. And we see Peter, regardless of the physical chains, regardless of the people around him, regardless of the cold, dark prison that he is in, he goes to sleep in Jesus. Very aware of the Lord's presence with him and the Lord's goodness toward him. Whatever happened, Peter knew he was going to be okay. Are you there? Are you there? Because that is the gift of God. This is the takeaway. This is the experience, not just the accumulation of knowledge that the Lord wants us to have. We see our fifth point is that Christians may be in prison, but prayer can't be. Can I have a hallelujah? Hallelujah. We see some principles of prayer, and that is that fervent prayer accomplishes much. James 5.16, the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we see that we are to pray regardless of what our circumstances look like, but our lifestyle affects if our prayers are answered. Our lifestyle affects if our prayers are answered. In Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, we see this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. The effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Friends, it's very important that we confess the sin in our lives. That's why this morning, when the Lord, when I woke up and the Lord had this man's face before me that I had driven by, he convicted me. Debbie, you were wrong. And conviction is supposed to bring about a change, not just me feeling bad about it, which I do. I pray he's there this afternoon. I'm going to go looking for him. But, but conviction and sorrow in our hearts means that we change. 
Is there some area in your heart, your life, where you know that it is a sin and you have felt bad about it? It may be a habitual lifestyle sin or it may be a, a, a random one that just occurred. It may be that it's something that the Lord is using that you and I fell on that part to conform us more to his likeness. I had thought in the past before, oh, I need to keep some sacks of food and water and things like that before, but I hadn't been convicted. This morning, I was convicted. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, it would be nice for me to do that, or it would be a good thing for me to do that, or it would be a helpful thing for me to do that. It was like, if it was a wrong thing for you not to do it. So I need to change. Is there any area where you need to change? Our lifestyle affects if prayers are answered, and my goodness, friends, we need to be praying effective, effectual prayers right now for our nation, our families, our world, do we not? So we need to get the sin that the Lord shows us out of our lives. We see that God's will is supreme. His ways are higher than our ways. And so we may not always understand why James was beheaded and Peter got broken out of jail. This is where we trust the Lord. His ways, his thoughts are higher than ours. In verses 18 through 25, we see that the angel of the Lord strikes Herod and he dies. And here we see a contrast. I want you to see that the angel of the Lord is being very instrumental. He strikes Peter in the side to wake him up, to rouse him, to follow him, to go through the open doors. The angel of the Lord strikes Herod to cause his death. Oh, my friends, the hand of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, the angel of the Lord are all active in the New Testament church and today. What will be our response to the hand of the Lord, the angel of the Lord striking us, rousing us in some area of our lives? And so we see our sixth point is the Lord is not blind to evil. He is not blind to what Herod's doing. And a day of reckoning will come. Will you say that with me? A day of reckoning will come. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, we see some reassurances that I want us to look at. And even though in this passage that is so incredible about the jailbreak with the angel, and I wish we had time to read back through all of that again, but the thing that Peter said when he came to himself in verse 11, he says, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, the hand of God, the hand of Herod. Active, active. He rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Colossians 1.13 says that God has rescued us from the domain of darkness. And just like he transferred Peter from prison, he has transferred us from the prison of our human nature and sin 
Colossians 1.13 says, to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> so you may say, oh, wouldn't that be fun to be rescued by an angel of the Lord? Well, you have been rescued by the Lord himself. Now, this next passage, I think that Jesus is looking down when it says that Peter goes and he knocks on the door and the servant girl does not. I don't think there's anything funny about it. Peter's life has been in danger. It is the night. He is knocking on the door needing to get inside of this house where he knows the Christians are praying. He is looking around to see. This really isn't a funny story. So if, if a commentator tells you it's funny, well, you may agree, but you may put yourself there and say, if you were just released from chains in a prison and you went and you knocked on a friend's door or something and they weren't answering, I don't think you'd be laughing about it. I think you'd be hoping they open the door. And of course, our takeaway from this is that sometimes we may not recognize the answered prayer that God's brought into our lives. That's why I have the prayer journal out there. That's why every day I want to, in the front section, I want to praise God every day. I want to stop and be mindful. Or I may do it this morning for yesterday morning and think that, God, thank you for, thank you for, thank you for. I want to record my prayers. The first column being appraising the Lord, recognizing his deity in my life and his hand. And I've shared with you how you can get my 365 days of praise. It has a different character trait of God. I want to pray for mindfully for Keith, for myself, for our children, grandchildren, for my sister, my niece. I, I, want, to, I want to be fervent in prayer. I want to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And so I want to mindfully put on my armor. We can be fervent in prayer. I can record the Lord, thank you. And so we see the Lord uses believers to draw unbelievers to himself, even during persecution. We see the Lord sheds light in my darkness and shows me the way to go. We see that the Lord breaks chains as I walk in his will. Peter was in God's will in prison, and the Lord broke those chains. We see that the Lord opens closed doors for me to walk through. Are you walking through the doors that God has opened for you in ministry, in faith, in service, in giving, in contributions? We see that the Lord rescues me from evil. We see the Lord acts unexpectedly. They were not expecting this outcome. The Lord acts unexpectedly. Pay attention to his purposes and fervent prayer. We see the reassurance that the Lord is active. He gently strikes believers to rouse us. Has he gently struck you on any point this morning to rouse you to some way to walk in his will? So we ask, because this is to be applicable, not just intellectual, not just academic. And Jesus is here. Looking at us as he looked at James' beheading, as he looked at Peter's confinement, as he looked at Agabus prophesying, as he looked at the disciples preaching his name, as he looked at Barnabas encouraging and Saul teaching, what does he see you and me doing? 
is it your heartfelt prayer? That the hand of the Lord be mighty on you. That the grace of God be evident in and through you. And that the Spirit of the Lord wakes you up how you can better serve him and his purposes in our world. And so, I love you. And if I love you like I love you, this morning in leaders meeting, I was having the hardest time keeping my mouth shut flat because I just kept wanting to say, can I say something? Can I say something, please? And I wanted to just look around the room at, at the discussion leaders and say, I love you so much. Because that's all that was filling my heart this morning was I was just thinking, I love you so much. I was looking at each one of them, gather to study, to share. And I love you so much. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. Leave here today purposely resolute like Barnabas was. Purposely resolute to encourage others and to be a fervent prayer warrior, and to, when the Lord strikes you with something, a word of conviction, to wake up with what he's telling you to do in that moment. Our Father, and our God, our Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit, you're so good. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.